few weeks ago, I'm not sure who placed the note on my desk, but there was a request, will you preach a lesson on sowing and reaping? And several scriptures were also on that card or on that note that was left for me. And I do want to say that I appreciate those who are interested in particular lessons. If you have a lesson on a topic that you would like for me to address, or if you have a scripture that you would like for me to preach on. I know several of you give me questions for our question and answer night, but for those that you may want a lesson on a specific topic, uh, feel free to give me a note. Just put it on my desk. If you don't want me to know who you are, uh, just make sure it's a biblical topic. Make sure it's a biblical text for us to deal with. As one thinks about sowing and reaping, God has an order to this life. As I step back and I try to think about the way God made this world and all the things that are a part of it. In Genesis 8 and verse 22, after the flood, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. I think about the seed time and harvest. That was a part of God's order for this world. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, To everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what was planted. But man can learn much from the order that he has created in this world because if I think about sowing and reaping, I think about seed time and harvest, I realize that this affects not only us as human beings, it affects all of God's creation. For instance, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24, there are four things which are little on the earth but are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in summer. You think about the the various animal kingdoms, the various insects, about how seed time and harvest also has an application to them as well. Or I think about Job chapter 12, verse 7. But now ask the beast and they will teach you and the birds of the air, they will tell you. Or even Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 7. Even the stork in heaven knows her appointed time and the turtle dove, their swift and the swallow. Observe the time of their coming The idea in mind is is that God has an order. Sowing and reaping, that's one of God's natural laws, if you will. And so in an effort to try to preach a lesson on sowing and reaping, here's what I'd like for us to accomplish. Number one, I want to look at the picture of sowing and reaping. Uh, What do you observe in that? Then number two... There's some passages which have been recommended. I want to look at those sort of individually and see if we can draw something from them. And then some principles to derive from those. First of all, many of us today do not live in an agricultural nature or society. Many of us, when someone says... It's time for us to eat some food. We go to the grocery store and we buy our food prepackaged for us. Now, some of us may have a garden, but that just simply supplements what we eat. Rarely do any of us grow the animals that we slaughter and use for food, or do we grow all the food that we eat on our daily table. But if you go back to biblical times, 
Their society was agricultural, and it was a very labor-intensive time. Listen to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 24. Does the plowman keep plowing all day to sow? Does he keep turning his soil and breaking the clods? I think about how that that used to be done manually with maybe a beast of burden and now tractors handle that task for us. In Deuteronomy 11, verse 10, For the land which you go in to possess it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your uh, seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. The idea that you had to do some irrigation for it. And God's saying, where I'm taking you, you won't have to do all of that. Or Proverbs 24, <coughs> verses 30 and 31 he said, I went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. And there it was all overgrown with thorns. Surface was covered with nettles. A stone wall was broken down. You get the picture in mind. Here's a man who has a field. He's not been sowing. He's not been weeding his property. But as you and I observe, God designed an order. The picture that he gives is that everything produces after its kind. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 11. And then God said. Let the earth bring forth grass. The herb that yields seed. And the fruit trees. That yield fruit according to its kind. Whose seed is in itself. On the earth. And it was so. I think about the apple trees. You know, I've visited an apple orchard recently and saw all those beautiful apples on the trees and realized there had to be a seed sown that grew the tree that matured to the point and then it put on the fruit that we enjoy. That's part of God's plan that it, everything produces after its kind. But a person has to sow in order to reap. And a person also has to depend upon the goodness of God and His blessing of rain. In James 5, verse 7, we learn, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You think about the farmers. They go out, they, they sow their seed. They wait for God's <laughs> blessing of rain so that the harvest takes place. That's the picture I want you to get in mind. But now there are several passages where these ideas are used in a figurative sense. And this is where you begin to understand there's a lesson there for us. And I'm assuming that whoever asked the question because of the passages that were included had in mind this idea that there's a lesson to be learned there. Not just the, the planting of seed into the ground, but the, the sowing and the reaping spiritually. So let's look, first of all, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 11. I want to begin with verse 24 and 25 and then look at verses 30 and 31. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. 
If the righteous will be recompensed upon the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? Well, that's a very powerful passage. You think about a man who scatters. In other words, he's putting out lots and lots of seed, and yet he increases more. The more seed he sows, the more harvest that he draws. And here's the man who says, withholds more than is right. In other words, he's coming out, well, I'm going to be stingy with my seed. I'm just going to put a little here, just going to put a little there. I'm not going to put out much. And he said, that leads to poverty. And then he applies it spiritually. The generous soul will be made rich. The person who takes what he has and invests it, if you will, and then he explains, and he who waters will himself be watered. And it might be easy to be think he's thinking only in terms of maybe physical blessings. But then when you get to verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. It's something that gives life and it sustains us. But then he says, he who wins souls is wise. I think about the Lord's church. And I think about us and we think about the growth and the progress of the church. And sometimes we tend to think, well, we need to be very reserved and, you know, let's don't spend too much money on this project that we're going to teach the people. Let's be a little more conservative here. Let's hold back. And do you know what happens? If we don't use what we have in trying to win souls, our numbers are going to shrink. What will happen is we'll go backwards. If the righteous is recompensed here on the earth, in other words, God's going to bless those people here on earth physically. He'll likewise do the opposite for those who are wicked. What about us spiritually speaking? There's a lot in that passage to digest and to meditate on. But now let's go to Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. The passage that was read to us earlier by Brother Tommy. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. That's an important observation. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. You sow corn, you're going to get corn. You plant watermelons, you're going to get watermelons. And then he applies it spiritually. He who sows to the flesh. Do I have to wonder what he's talking about here? No. Because you just go back to chapter 5 and look at verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, or licentiousness. And then he goes on to list all these things. He says, I've told you before and even as I tell you again that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So you sow to those fleshly things, you will of the flesh reap corruption, rottenness, if you will. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting or everlasting life. Again, I don't have to wonder what that means because in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, now the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. He said, again, such there's no law. 
So what he is talking about here is, what about a man who lives according to the fleshly choices of life? He's going to reap those. What about those who live according to the godly principles that the Spirit has revealed? He'll enjoy everlasting life. Then Job chapter 4 verse 8. Even this I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Proverbs 22 verse 8. He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. And the rod of his anger will fail. You sow iniquity. You plow iniquity. You do what is wrong. And everywhere you go, what do you expect to reap from it? You expect to reap the same. Just like Galatians 6 verse 7. And he tells us you will reap sorrow from that. You make the choice to do what is wrong and to use the terms of God through Moses, the way of the transgressor is hard. And then Hosea chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Hosea says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap mercy, break up your fallow ground, For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You've eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. What Hosea is trying to point out is it's time for people to now start sowing righteousness How many times have you heard people young in life say, well, they need to go sow their wild oats as if that's somehow acceptable and right? No, it's not. When you start thinking about sowing, whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. You tell your young people, oh, well, go out and sow your wild oats and then don't be surprised when they reap the harvest from those wild oats. He says, it's time to break up your fallow ground, the ground you've not been sowing. He said, it's time to sow for yourself righteousness. Start living a righteous life. Now, if I start looking at all of what has been said in these passages, I start understanding some principles that are to follow from it. And so I think there's some principles that we're going to draw from them that I think can apply to us spiritually. And the first one is simply this, you reap in proportion to what you sow. The second one is you reap the product you have sown. Number three, your reaping is based on where the seed is sown. We've not even addressed that yet. And number four, one reaps as the providence of God allows. Let me take these four very simple principles and let's look at them. The proportion. If I think about proportion, when it comes to the giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, Paul wrote, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. You know what he was talking about? The contribution and giving. He had described the churches of Macedonia He talked about they were in deep poverty, but that abounded to the riches of their liberality. They were good givers. 
And sometimes we have this idea that, well, I need to hold on to this money. I don't need to give it to the Lord. And he says, what happens is, you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. You sow good things, you're going to get good things from it. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 23, we'll look briefly in a few minutes at the parable of the soils. But just notice verse 23. He said, those who sowed on the good ground, he said, it indeed bear fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Sometimes land produces more than others, but you reap in proportion to what you have sown. And then you also have to realize the same is true negatively. You sow bad things, you'll reap in proportion to that as well. For instance, they sowed to the wind and they reaped the whirlwind. Somebody chooses to do what's wrong and it'll come back to you, but even much more. But the second thing is you reap the product that you sow. Now we've talked about that. A man, whatever he sows is what he's going to reap. In Luke 16, verse 25, do you remember here's the rich man and Lazarus? And the rich man is wanting blessings and uh, great things while he is in eternity. Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you receive good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you're tormented. What he was trying to say to the rich man is, you enjoyed the fruits of your sinful behavior while you were here on this earth. You are now reaping the consequences of the choices you made. I think some of us need to step back and think about, what choices am I making? And will I spend eternity in heaven because of the choices I made? Or am I going to expect torment? What have you been sowing? And Hosea 10, verse 13, again, you plowed in wickedness, you reaped iniquity. What you have sown is what you're going to reap. But then where sown? When you and I realize the seed produces on the basis of the soil into which it's sown. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus began teaching the parables of the kingdom. And one of the first parables he taught was that of the soils and where the seed is sown. We know according to Luke 8 and verse 11, the seed's the word of God. What the soils represent are the hearts into which it is sown. He spoke many things to them in parables and said, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and behold, some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them, and some fell on stony places where there was not much soil. And or not much earth, and they sprang up because of they had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root and withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. You realize that where you plant does make a difference. If I go out in the parking lot and I take seed and I scatter it out, I should expect nothing but the birds to come and get it. There's no way it's going to penetrate that asphalt. There's no way it's going to be able to grow. But then you can take that same seed and you can go to an area where there's stones in it 
and there's a little sloth layer of soil on top of it. And the seed penetrates, immediately grows, but then it doesn't have enough earth to sustain it. But then you think about trying to sow among the thorns. And you think about all that's involved in that as Jesus explains this parable later. And he explains about how that the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life have choked out the word. And folks, I hate to be so brutally honest. We've got so many things going in our lives. Spiritual devotion to the Lord is going by the wayside. We've allowed ourselves to become so entangled in so many things, and not all of them are bad things. It's just we've got so many of them that the Lord has slipped down. He's no longer in first place. Church is no longer number one. Serving God, praising God, and assembling with the saints is way down here on the list. Maybe up here is baseball. Maybe up here is our entertainment. Maybe up here is our uh, friends and our family and our associations. You see, what happens is our devotion to the Lord moves down on that list. Yes, not only do you reap what you sow, but you reap where you sow. But then you have to think about the providence of God. And you begin to explore the idea of sowing and reaping. You realize there's times when God truly blesses the harvest. Some years you go out to your garden and you've worked hard in it. You've sown the seed. You've made sure that you've weeded your garden well, but does it do well some years. In other years it does wonderful. A lot of it has to do with the rain. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good to us, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Oh, yeah, there's some years we have a bumper crop. Things do exceptionally well. But you know, there's also those other kinds of years when God curses the harvest. When God says, I know that you have done all this work, but it's not going to succeed. In the book of Haggai chapter 1. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've so much, but bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earn wages to put it into a bag with holes. You put out a lot, but you didn't produce. What's wrong with this? It's obvious if you keep reading. The problem was is these people here did not do what God told them to do. And God cursed their harvest for that. You see, our challenge is to realize that God's blessings or His wrath will come greater than our own. Whatever effort you put out in trying to sow seed, God's going to give back more. I like the way Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 puts it. Give and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be put into your bosom. You give and God's going to return. It's going to be measured back to you, both good and evil. What kind of harvest will we have sown? Three things were mentioned on the little card that I got, and I, I thought it was worth just mentioning him them at the end. 
for your consideration, for you to think about. We reap what we sow in our finances. You know what? If you're a good steward, you're going to find yourself able to be able to make ends meet. You're going to find yourself not only having money to provide for your own needs, but some to share with others, like Ephesians 4, verse 25. So you reap what you sow in your finances. You reap what you sow in your family. It's so sad to see sometimes families treat one another poorly. But they don't realize that if I treat you poorly, who then is going to treat me good? If I speak evil and ill toward you, how are you going to speak back toward me? If you tell your children they're worthless, what do you think they'll do when you get old? How do you think they'll treat you? And we reap what we sow in our faith. How much effort are we putting into being faithful to the Lord? What are we sowing spiritually? You know, if you're only putting an hour or two a week in your faith, do you think you can grow enough faith to make it to heaven? Are you taking a little bit of time to read the Bible? Are you taking a little bit of time to do some good to your neighbors and your friends? Are you taking a little bit of time to try to be able to encourage others spiritually? You reap what you sow. Are you sowing for righteousness? Are you sowing for iniquity? I hope that lesson has focused on what the question was. But let me make the point tonight. Who at the door is standing? I want you to picture on the other side of the door, the Lord's knocking on the door. And He's knocking on the door of your heart. And what He is asking for you to do is let Him in. And are you willing to do that? Are you willing to let the Lord in your life? You're not a Christian. You're not in His body, the church yet. But the door is open And the Lord is standing at the door. And are you going to answer? If you believe He's the Son of God, why not repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized? If you are a Christian and you need to be restored, now is the time. There will never be a better one. Would you come as together we stand and sing?